Matthew 11, 1 through 19. I'll be reading from the LSB today. Now it happened that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdoms of heaven, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. So good to see you here this morning. And I know we have uh, some visitors with us here today. I want to let you know how glad we are that you're here. And we have been um, working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and we've not been in a great hurry. Uh, but but I, I want us to just, uh, since we've, we've not been in Matthew for a couple of weeks, let, let's just remember where we've been. Um, by the time we get to chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel, and you're turning there now, I love the sounds of your, your Bible pages uh, rustling and ruffling. Um, by the time we get to chapter 11, we know that Jesus is the eternal king uh, promised to God's people uh, all the way back in Genesis. Uh, we saw that in chapter 1. Jesus is the king and, and savior uh, foreshadowed in God's covenants with Abraham. 
and, and David. Uh, Jesus is the Christ, God's anointed Messiah, uh, whose reign will never end. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us personally, intimately, as we just sang, he's come to ransom his captive Israel, the Israel of God. The king's very name, Jesus, Matthew says, tells us of his coming to save his people from their sins. And his coming from heaven uh, to this earth to save in his first advent, um, his first coming, if you will, the king has inaugurated his kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven. I wonder this morning, do you belong to this king? Do you have citizenship in this kingdom of heaven? How, how would you know? Well, what is the kingdom of heaven? Remember uh, the word kingdom, king plus dominion, um, simple uh, concept, really. The dominion of heaven's king is breaking into humanity. If you know him, this has happened in your life by God's grace. Uh, one heart at a time, uh, the kingdom is advancing. And in this kingdom, uh, the king's will is obeyed. Uh, the, the king is honored and served. Um, the king is, is trusted instinctively, not perfectly, but, but willingly, joyfully even, by his people. And, and so I ask you again, uh, do, you, do you belong to this king? Is his kingdom growing in you? It's not a rhetorical question. This is the part where you can nod your heads or even speak if you want to. Now, in the verses we just had read to us, we're reminded that this kingdom um, does not always appear to be advancing, though it is. When we live by sight rather than by faith, it may well appear to us that the kingdom of darkness uh, the, the kingdoms, uh, you know, the nations, if you will, that are uh, ultimately governed by the God of this world, the enemy of souls, so often does it not seem to you, uh, these are the kingdoms that are growing, those that are opposed to God and God's ways. These are the, uh, the, these are the kingdoms that seem to be advancing relentlessly. And the thing of it is, is we're not the first people to think such things. Remember, John the Baptist had sent two of his disciples to Jesus um, with their doubts in light of what they saw happening in the world around them. Things didn't look the way they thought they should look in light of what they had studied in the Old Testament about this Messiah and his kingdom. And so they ask Jesus, essentially, look, if, if our guy, John the Baptist, is the king's herald, um, why is he in prison? I mean, why, why was his ministry uh, just getting started, really, and then cut short, seemingly? And if you, Jesus, are the king himself, then why do you not speak and act in ways that Israel's Messiah is expected to ask, act by his people. 
And so they say in verse 3 of Matthew 11, are you the one who is to come? Should, should we look for somebody else? Based on what they saw and how they felt about what they saw, John's disciples had doubts. And so, so Jesus very tenderly but very clearly uh, validated John's ministry. Uh, never mind that he's in prison. He is the forerunner of the king. He is my herald, my messenger. And then Jesus reiterates the certainty of his kingdom's arrival. Don't think for a moment, um, based on what you see happening in the world around you, uh, that the kingdom of heaven has not come, uh, th- that its expansion and its culmination is, is, is somehow in jeopardy. Don't think that. And then we get to verse 12, and I have to tell you, I got stuck on verse 12, and you know how this is going to go. So let me, so let me just prep you for this, okay? We're going to spend a lot of time in verse 12, and, and then you, you saw on the thing that we're going to make it through verse 19 by God's grace somehow, and, and two-thirds of the way through this thing, you're going to be thinking, this is not possible. I don't know how this is going to go down, and then there's going to be a really fast finish, and, and it's going to be just fine. It'll be just fine. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. And that isn't the kind of verse that you can say, well, that's perfectly clear. Let's, let's close in prayer, and, and we'll move on with, with the day. Um, this is a strange statement from King Jesus. And as it turns out, it's a riddle. Do you like riddles? We know it's a riddle because Jesus says in verse 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, In other words, this riddle conveys truth uh, to those who are hungry to receive it. Those who are eager to receive those with teachable spirits. Do you have a teachable spirit? You already know everything. But this truth is veiled to the indifferent, the lukewarm, the half-hearted, the know-it-alls. In other words, this truth is for the faithful, not the fickle. So let's consider the riddle. You're still listening. And with God's help, have, have ears to hear. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Jesus is using a word picture uh, from, from the world of warfare um, to describe the nature of his kingdom and the nature of those who belong to the kingdom, the behavior, if you will, of those who belong to the kingdom. And and the phrase suffers violence is actually an illustration. It's not to do with a literal physical battle. And those two words, suffers violence, translate a single Greek word that I got stuck on this past couple of weeks, actually, biatso, uh, which refers to exerting an influence. You might want to write this in your, the margin of your Bible or your friend's Bible because we're all going to forget this. 
and we're going to wonder a couple of years from now, what was, what was that even about? It's to do with the kingdom of heaven exerting an influence powerfully, relentlessly, um, though not necessarily physically, like, like yeast slowly, uh, invisibly permeating a lump of dough. I mean, w- once it's in there, uh, it's, its influence is relentless. Um, it, it's unstoppable once it is present. Um, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And by the way, the kingdom has come because the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is advancing relentlessly, and its advance is unstoppable. And you say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't always look like that. This is not to do with what it looks like, and it's not to do with my measure or your measure of whether it is so. Jesus, our king, says it is so. It is so. And it started with the ministry of John the Baptist. Ever since John the Baptist began heralding the arrival of the king, Jesus, um, Christ's kingdom began to overwhelm the hearts of God's people. Not all people, God's people. Remember, way back in chapter 1, call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Not all people, his people. This grace of God in Christ, the King, is irresistible in that sense to his people. So much so that in John's day, what what started to happen, um, as John proclaimed the coming of the kingdom, remember John's message was repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What happened? People started repenting of their sins. And, and, and preparing their hearts for the arrival of the king. And they even submitted to John's baptism, which was sort of an a anticipatory baptism. And eventually, people began thronging to Jesus himself. Everywhere he went throughout Galilee, Matthew has shown us, there were huge crowds, people pressing in to Jesus. Repentant people pressing in earnestly toward Jesus wherever he went. Again, not all people, but, but God's people. And let me ask you, have you pressed in toward Jesus in this way? Have you reached for this forgiveness of sin? that is only available in Jesus Christ? Because it isn't going to fall out of the sky and hit you one day. We'll come back to that. Has God graciously given you that holy violence, that, that zeal for the Lord to act on your desperate need for Christ? And if you wonder what that looks like, think about the miracles that we've already seen in Matthew's gospel. Think, for example, of the leper whom we met in Matthew 8. That man should not have been anywhere near a crowd of people. But he was not about to let social convention keep him from Jesus. He had to get to Jesus. 
And so he pressed into Jesus. That's holy violence. That's zeal for the Lord. Uh, unclean, unclean. I must get to Jesus. Has that ever been your cry? Is it your cry now, today? Or are you indifferent? Well, I've heard this before. Think of the centurion. Same chapter, Matthew 8. Uh, pleading with Jesus to ju just say the word and heal my servant. That, that Gentile commander was used to giving orders to other people. He said, jump, and other men said, how high? But he knows he's in the presence of the king of kings. He knows he's in the presence of the one who has all authority. How many of you know there is no authority higher than the authority of King Jesus? And, and he pleads with Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. In fact, I'm not even worthy to have you come to my house. You could just speak the word from right where we're standing, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. Would you heal him? That is zeal for the Lord. That is the holy violence by which the kingdom advances. And this fellow was, was, was persistent in his humility and in his dependence upon King Jesus. He, he wasn't about to let social standing, you know, the embarrassment of doing something like that. He, he wasn't about to, to, to let, you know, something like public opinion, his friends' opinions, racism, by the way. Again, it's a Gentile pleading with a Jewish rabbi. None of that matters. He, he, must, he must have Jesus. Is that you? Think of the woman in Matthew 9 suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years, slow, slowly bleeding to death, very slowly bleeding to death, shamed and cast off by her community, not even able to worship, because of her ritual uncleanness under the law. And yet, she said, what? If only I touch his garment, I will be saved from this. And she pressed into Jesus. That's holy violence. That's, that's zeal for the Lord. This is how the kingdom advances. Because the Spirit of God makes it so. This is the miracle of the new birth, this I must have Jesus business, as opposed to what? As opposed to indifference, as opposed to lukewarmness, as opposed to, you know, I'm pretty sure I've heard all this stuff before. These responses to Jesus, he says in Matthew 11, were widespread. They were not universal, don't misunderstand, but they were widespread. The kingdom of heaven began to advance irresistibly as God's people pressed in to the king that they might have Christ for that which only Christ can give. I believe the, uh, the Williams translation renders this really well. Let me just re read it to you. Um, don't try to write it down because there's another one coming. I don't want you to hurt yourself. Um, 
And from the days of John the Baptist until the present moment, the kingdom of heaven has been continuously taken by storm, and those who take it by storm are seizing it as a precious prize. All right, here's another one. Better one, I think. Presbyterian minister William Hendrickson, um, I think I've quoted from his commentary on Matthew's gospel a, a few times, renders it this way. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom is pressing forward vigorously and vigorous men are eagerly taking possession of it. So, so make no mistake about it, says Matthew eleven twelve. Christ's kingdom has, since the days of John the Baptist, been advancing relentlessly despite great opposition, uh, despite appearances at, time, at times. And, and doesn't it seem to you that in our world today, Christians, um, there is much opposition to the kingdom and there are appearances at time in which we get the sense that is, is, is the kingdom growing or not? Nothing will prevent Christ from saving his people and bringing his kingdom to its fullness. Do you believe this? It turns out it makes a difference in the way you live. That's why I ask. For his own, for the people he has come to save, God's grace in Christ is irresistible and the advance of his kingdom is uncontainable. So what would an application be? I can see that on your faces already. What, what, what does this have to do with us? Um, don't believe, church, don't believe this generation's doomsayers who say, you know, the, the church really needs to change its message uh, it really needs to change, um, you know, wh what it puts its energy into. Um, the world is changing, and the, and the church had better change with it, or, or the church, you know, one day is going to die. And uh, I just want to say that that's all a bunch of hooey. That's the theological term for it. <laughs> don't believe that stuff, and don't act as if that's the case. We... Believers are the church militant, right? And our gospel labors, puny as they seem to us, God somehow uses in his amazing grace to advance his kingdom. And um, in, in short order, according to Scripture, we're, we're soon to be the church triumphant. A new heaven and a new earth await God's people. Our king is coming again. Turns out, um, we are meant to live as those who hope for his return. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking at a spot on the map. We're not looking at world events. We're looking at the king who is coming again, and we want to be ready. Are you hearing this? Now, I mentioned earlier that verse 12 is a riddle. And, and there are those scholars who um, believe this verb, you know, suffers violence, biazzo, is passive. In other words, it speaks to something that is being done to the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffers um, violent treatment from those who oppose it. Um, God's people suffer violence from those who oppose them. And, and that's, that's true, isn't it? Um, Herod tried to kill Jesus as a toddler. 
John the Baptist is in prison by the time we get to chapter 11. Uh, Jesus, the king himself, uh, now in his 30s, in his humanity, is living day by day toward his own crucifixion. Um, the king's people, uh, his disciples in the, in the earlier chapters, especially, uh, what, what was it, chapter 10, uh, are, are being warned that, um, hey, uh, not everybody's going to like you. In fact, you're going to be persecuted for my namesake. And you're going to be opposed by religious authorities. You, you may even be opposed by governing authorities. And it turns out your own family members may well um, reject you. So happy Thanksgiving, and, and there you go. I mean, that, this is the nature of the kingdom as it advances, right? So that application of verse 12 um, is true. Um, so so don't, don't worry if you've got a note in your study Bible that kind of explains it that way. That's fine. But, but this double meaning of, of the verb seems to be describing something that the kingdom itself is doing. Think about what started to happen at the preaching of John the Baptist. Only about 18 months had transpired between John beginning his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the king is here, and the, these words that Jesus is now speaking. And what did people in those days see and do? Uh, they saw. I mean, what an amazing time to be alive on planet Earth in Palestine. They saw uh, the new covenant being revealed in real time. They, they saw the, the grace of God in salvation lived out by the king, by Jesus. They didn't recognize it as such, but it was happening. And people were thronging to Jesus. They must have Jesus. So, though it's taken us a while, we, we are sort of um, to that part of the message that isn't the end, so don't think that. Remember I told you earlier about the quick finish. Um, we're still in the slow part. What does this have to do with you? Or is this all just kind of an interesting academic study about a verb that somebody got hung up on and is foisting it all on you? What, is, what does this have to do with you? Well, look at the last little bit of verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Or, or if it's more helpful, vigorous people are eagerly taking possession of it. Real Christians are being described here, as opposed to what? As opposed to people who just go to buildings with crosses on them and don't know the Lord, especially this time of year. There, this is something that is true of you or you are not a believer because it's a work of the Spirit of God in salvation. There's something about the work of God in your heart. Uh, you see your helplessness. You see your hopelessness in sin before God apart from grace, and you see the sufficiency of Christ and his work for you, and you must have Jesus. Is that you? You say, well, I'm, 
I'm sort of, I'm sort of a Christian that way. Listen, there are no sort of Christians. That's what this is talking about. You won't let anything stop you from running to Jesus. You, you must have Jesus. Have you run to Jesus? You're not bored with his gospel. You're not indifferent to God's word. You're not cold toward your king's commands because there's been a work of the spirit of God in your heart, a new birth, if you will. And, and you must have Jesus. And because he is infinite in all of his attributes, because he's, he's limitless in all of his preciousness, the, there's always more of him to have. Is that you? You pressing in like that? Those who belong to Christ press into his kingdom with a holy violence or a holy zeal for their king hunger and thirst for righteousness. I read that somewhere. And they're satisfied in Christ. What's it look like? Well, again, it looks like that leper, that centurion, that poor woman desperate for Jesus. Let me tell you a quick story. on, on, On snowy days like today, cold days like today. It, it's hard to remember that there was a summer just not that long ago. Remember that? Warm weather and all that. Um, and, I, and I was remembering as I put this message together, um, I don't know if I mentioned that we have grandchildren, Pam and I, but I was thinking of, you know, summer afternoon in the park, and um, it's nice and hot out, and the children are playing, and um, all of a sudden, they just kind of stand at attention. And you got to wonder, what makes little kids stand at attention like that? It's not our voices, that's for sure. It's not even their parents' voices. It's the faint sound of the ice cream truck. <laughs> and, it, and it's coming. And the kids hear it first. The adults don't hear it. Well, what's going on? What's wrong with these kids? And uh, pretty soon, the big people here start hearing it too. And it gets louder and louder, and the kids snap to attention, and they start, like, moving toward the sound, right? They can't help themselves. They're excited. And pretty soon they see it. It's the Arctic Cat ice cream truck. And then eventually the ice cream lady herself can be seen visually, and off they go. You understand what I'm saying? They must have a rocket pop (laughs) or a drumstick or something like that. And it's free because Grandpa's got his wallet. (laughs) You understand what it is to press toward something that nonetheless is free? To desire something that nonetheless is freely given so that you must have it? Have you pressed in toward this king, this Jesus, in that way? With holy violence? With zeal for his salvation?
those who desire the king's salvation, freely offered, will not be restrained by anything that gets in the way of them grasping it. So this zeal, this holy violence, is is the earnest desire. Kids, you have this in your listening guide. What's zeal? It's this earnest desire, this I must have Jesus reality that happens in the heart that moves you to repentance and faith and following Christ. In other words, nobody sleepwalks their way into the kingdom of heaven. Nobody here is saved simply because mom and dad are. Grandma and grandpa are. Well, way back in my family's history, there was a fellow who was an itinerant minister, and he rode a horse, and he did this and that and the other thing. That doesn't matter a hill of beans for you in your salvation. Though it's a wonderful heritage, isn't it? Luke's account of this same statement from Jesus puts it this way. Let's listen to Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom is proclaimed, and everyone is forcing his way into it. So here is Jesus. You're still listening. Here, here is Jesus in Matthew 11 describing the nature of his kingdom. It's advancing relentlessly. He's describing the behavior of those who belong to his kingdom, real Christians. They're they're zealous for the king. Kingdom people truly want their hearts and lives ordered by the king. Believe it or not, you sang about that earlier. I wonder, did you believe it? Oh, come... Thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to, grow, to go. I mean, is that not the heart cry of God's people? However imperfectly, however sporadically we press in, make no mistake, we press in because God makes it so. Paul puts it this way in his letter to Titus. This is Titus 2, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, amen, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. And Paul describes in his letter to Titus something that is true of all believers, they have been given by the Spirit of God this, this holy violence, this zeal for the Lord, an earnestness for Christ and an earnestness to walk in his ways, a, a, a strong uh, eagerness for his return. The faith that grasps Christ, I mean, let me just say this for the sake of clarity, is a God-given faith 
Uh, but nonetheless, this faith, though God-given, it exerts itself and, and continues to pursue Christ. And I, I, and I can't help but think that there might be a believer or two in, in this room um, glad for the reminder uh, that our Lord is generous to give zeal for those who have a sense of it waning. Th- those who might think uh, on their worst day that they've become a bit lukewarm in all of this stuff. Are you still pressing into Christ? Do you, do you desire him? Are, are, are you, by God's grace, forsaking other loves? The Puritan Thomas Watson, it helps tremendously to read some of these old dead guys and, I, and I've mentioned Thomas Watson before, but he, he wrote a little book um, based on this one verse in Matthew 11, verse 12, called Heaven Taken by Storm. It's well worth the read. You Just Google it. You, you can read it in an evening with some hot chocolate or something. Um, Watson says this holy violence or holy zeal is really the mark of every true believer. Christians are, are violent, in other words, zealous in the sense that we're waging war um, against remaining sin in our lives. We're, we're not uh, lazy about that. Uh, we're, we're not um, uncaring about that. We want to be made more like Jesus, amen? And, and, and the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we're aware of how much farther there is to go in that area. Christians are violent or earnest in the sense that they're battling falsehood in them. Such a tendency to live by lies. And then Watson says this. It's it's a long quote. Don't try to write this down. The, The Christian is resolved. Come on what will. He will have heaven. Where there is this resolution, danger must be despised. Difficulties trampled upon, terrors condemned. This is the first thing in holy violence, resolution of will. I will have heaven, whatever it costs me, and this resolution must be in the strength of Christ. And then to this resolution of will, he adds um, vigor of affection. Jesus, I love you, but but I would love you more. Strength of endeavor. I, I sometimes grow lazy in this pursuing Christ. You get the idea. And, and Jesus says, you know, this heart change has been happening ever since um, the beginning of, of John the Baptist's ministry uh, as, as he began pro- proclaiming the arrival of the king. Okay, so here's the, here's the fast finish. I told you this was coming. Look at verses 13 and 14. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. Now, what in the world is that about? The the Jews of of first century Palestine knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. For 400 years, get this, 400 years, there had been no prophetic word fresh prophetic word from God. That's, you know, what, 12 generations, something like that. 16 generations, maybe. 
Um, it's, a, it's a math problem anyway. It's a long time. It's a, it's a lot of generations. But they did remember hearing passed down to them through their own scriptures, through the Old Testament, what God had said through the last prophet, Malachi. Behold, I am going to send you, Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. And, and what do we often read um, in Luke's gospel this time of year in our Advent readings? Um, we read of Zacharias, you know, who was told by an angel that his wife Elizabeth would miraculously bear a son, John the Baptist. L- listen to Luke 1. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, before the king, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so here in Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, look, guys, this happened right in front of your very eyes. Do you believe it? Sadly, though many did, most were not willing to accept John's message. Just like many are unwilling to accept Jesus' message. And so Jesus says what in verse 15? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Only those who hear with the heart, who who respond with the heart, see this great truth of God fulfilling his promises of redemption in Christ. Do you have ears to hear? Have have you reached for Christ through repentance and faith? Are, Are you still reaching for him? Though you're a saved person because you want more of him, you're still hungry for his word because he has the word of life. You still earnestly want to be less like that person you were before you met him and and more like him. Do you you zealously live toward that day when your Bible says that you will see him as he is? And you will have been made like him? You're still interested in that. How would you describe your reception of King Jesus? Zealous for his reign in your life or not? And Jesus says, hey, to what shall I compare this generation. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. But Jesus is describing the fickle response of many, actually most people, 
to the message of the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, this generation refers to that generation that was listening to Jesus speak those words. He's not talking about us in our generation. And just file that one away because it'll, it'll, it keeps coming up in Matthew's gospel, in particular in the Olivet Discourse. Um, but, but it is true, in light of that, some things never change. Still today, some people are just never quite satisfied with Christ, never content. And, and so they remain unsettled, they remain uncommitted. There may be people in this room like that right now. John came in austerity, breathing, you know, hellfire and brimstone, we would say in our jargon. Um, people said, well, he's not really fun enough. He, he needs to lighten up a little bit. And, and eating the bugs and all of that, we're not really for that. Um, I mean, and, and people like to listen to John, but as soon as he called them to repent, do you know what that means? Give up your sin. Give up yourself and turn to Christ. Well, then the crowd's thinned. Jesus came joyfully. Yeah, he preached judgment, but he also sat at table with sinners. I mean, he's, he's come to save them after all. And, and, and he spoke of a kingdom in which his enemies would be conquered with weapons like love and grace and forgiveness and selfless service by him for his people. And, and people said what? Well, he, he doesn't seem to really care as much as John did about holiness, the law and all of that. You see how fickle people can be? And people are like that in response to the scriptures still today. I don't know, I started going to that church around Christmas time and I thought it would be a a joyful message and the guy stands up there and is talking about sin and repentance and all of that stuff. Uh, I just don't know that that I'm for that. Are you grasping for Christ? Or are you like those that Jesus describes here in Matthew 11? You know, nothing satisfies the uncommitted. Nothing satisfies the lukewarm. Let me just end with this. Those who hear the words of Jesus with unmoved indifference... That's what he's describing here. Those who remain uncommitted, wavering, will never enter the kingdom. You say, well, that's, that doesn't, that's not what I want to hear. It's not my material. These, these are the words of the king. Actually, I'm not going to end with that, but we're getting very close. The the only thing more tragic than the people of Jesus' day remaining unmoved and uncommitted is for you who are here today remaining unmoved and uncommitted. Why? Well, Well, it's what Jesus meant when he said of John, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What, what in the world is, is that about? Well, he's not talking about greater in terms of position, but, but, but greater in privilege. 
John was martyred before he got to see the culmination of Jesus taking his perfect life all the way to Calvary's cross and offering it there to atone for the sins of his people. John's ministry ended, John's life ended before he could experience, as did the apostles, the empty tomb, the risen Savior, the, the, the ascended King, all of that. You have been told of these things. You have heard this gospel countless times. And and yet some remain unmoved, uncommitted. So I urge you, in light of these last words of Jesus, just look at the text, don't look at me. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What, what is that? Well, history proved John the Baptist and Jesus right. <laughs> and you can be sure of this. The, the, the risen king we just sang about, remember that one? Oh, come people of the risen king. Did you believe that? Our risen king is coming again. And he's coming again to reward his people. We read about that in in Matthew 10. Uh, He's coming again to give us the fullness of uh, this inheritance that is ours by by faith in him. Uh, But, you know, he's also coming to judge the wicked. Who, Who are the wicked? A whole bunch of people who went to all of the Jesus rallies, according to Matthew 11 and yet remained unmoved, and yet remained uncommitted. And on that day, when our king returns, um, and, and for all eternity, wisdom will be vindicated by her deeds. Okay, let, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, we pray that we would not be those who simply hear familiar words and yet remain unmoved. I pray that you would so work in hearts among us that desperate sinners here in this room would run to you, that nothing would stand in the way. Lord, would you give that grace of faith from you. And Lord, I pray that you would so work in the hearts of your people, those of us who are your disciples. Lord, we love you, but we want to love you more. Lord, you've given us this zeal, this earnestness, but but we would have more. And so we ask you for it, believing that you want this as well for us. You've promised to finish the work that you've begun in us. And so we ask that it would be so. 
And we ask for your namesake. 